0: It's good to be with you this morning in Waynesboro, Virginia. I've heard about Waynesboro for years. I've passed through, I've eaten a sandwich somewhere, a great sandwich shop, uh, somewhere back in time. Um, I've known a handful of ministers who have been uh, here and uh, think the world of them, and they think the world of you. And so thank you for allowing me to be with you this morning in this place. Um, They say that uh, when someone stands up that is unknown and maybe even unknown as to why that person is in the room, that uh, it's kind of hard to draw a balance because half the room uh, is curious about, you know, who is this standing in front of us and what's the story? And the other half of the room is saying, we don't care, just get on with it. (laughs) So there's, there's a balance to be struck. So just briefly, my name is Randy Ashcraft. I was raised in Texas, school in Oklahoma and Texas, moved east coast in 1985. Thought I'd go back to the Lone Star State uh, pretty quickly, but lo and behold, uh, stayed on the east coast in Clemson, South Carolina, Tampa, Florida, for 13 years where we raised our son Graham. And then to Northern Virginia, another world uh, away, uh, in Loudoun County for eight years, and then to Richmond, Virginia. Um, I have one son married to Amanda. I have three grandchildren, a set of twins, male twins, eight years old, and Skylar, who is six, that runs the family. And I was in New York uh, just a short time ago, a week or so ago, and I went to eat dinner with my family at their table, and all the kids are looking at me with this wide-eyed look, and. And I can just tell something is up. And uh, the first child says, our. And the second says, mother. And the third one says, is. And then all together they said, going to have a baby. And so there's a fourth grandchild coming, uh, living in 900 square feet in Manhattan, New York. Uh, Skylar sleeps in a drawer as it is. So (laughs) it's not my problem, right? So I'm very excited about that. Uh, Forrest Gump is right. Uh, His mother's right, that is. I was uh, watching this movie again, maybe for the 20th time recently, and listening to that story, and Forrest is telling his story on that park bench, on that bus uh, stop bench, and his mother told him that life is like a box of chocolates. And then uh, she said, you never know what you're going to get, right? And the same thing is true for guest ministers, so let's hang on. (laughs) Uh, I hail from East Texas. I was born in Tyler, Texas. My dad grew up in Lindale, Texas, a very tiny farming community uh, about 100 miles east of Dallas. My grandmother Eunice taught the uh, Sunday school class for older women and she taught it for 30 some odd years. In the old days in Baptist life, uh, classes used to promote. You know, if you were in the 30 to 40 year old class, you promoted to the 40 to 50 year old class, etc., etc. And my grandmother taught the class that promoted to heaven when it was taught <laughs> and she did it well. She loved her class. Uh, She studied diligently for her lesson. And um, I was reminded of her when a friend of mine who pastored out in West Texas was talking about a similar woman in his congregation, Ms. Ruth, who taught the older women's class. She was a typical West Texas woman. She was tough, gritty, loving, stern. Uh, She was uh, precise. She had a point of view, and she studied as well her scriptures. One Sunday morning, somehow, the class drifted into a conversation about whether or not alcohol should ever pass the lips of a Christian. And and it was talked about from some various points of view. It was obvious that Ms. Ruth did not necessarily appreciate this conversation. She folded her arms, and she kept looking down at the Bible and then she spoke and she said, I, I don't think it should, it should ever be used by a Christian. At which point a brave soul, one of the more timid women but one who had read her Bible, raised her hand and she said, Ms. Ruth, uh, you do know that the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at the wedding at Cana where he turned water into wine. And she looked down over her glasses, and she said, yes, I know this. And I don't want to debate whether it was real wine or whether it was new wine. It wasn't Welch's grape juice, I know that, she said. So I know that this is true. But I would have thought a lot more about Jesus if he hadn't said that. Well, you just can't argue with that. But this morning, we launched into a whole new way of understanding how it is that we live out our faith. I grew up in a very traditional Baptist family, five generations deep of Baptists. Some of you are probably not Baptist. I realize that folks come from a lot of traditions, but that's my tradition and what I inherited. I grew up with a, a kind of a dualistic understanding of the nature and personality of God. On the one hand, I was loved and cared for by my family. I'm a fortunate person because that's not true for everyone. But at the same time, I heard about a stern God who was interested in rules and regulations, who was interested in do's and don'ts, who was interested in proper behavior. And there was a fear that, uh, that developed in my own child mind about the nature of God. And that continues literally until this day. And the faith that was inherited literally by those who sat at the table with Jesus and who enlisted as friends of Jesus to carry the message forward of God's purposes in the world, these people were very familiar with laws and regulations, the do's and don'ts, and you've read all about those in what we call the Old Testaments. And so Jesus literally was doing something new. Not new in the sense that people were not to have loved each other prior to Jesus's commandments, but new in the sense that now love is being walked into the very center of the focus of those who follow Jesus, the people that we later know as Christians, as Christ followers. And so now we have this new uh, lens through which to see all other things. And it's so simple that it often escapes us. Is there a word more overused than the word love? I love my car, I love my job, I love uh, lunch today. Uh, We use that word as a throwaway word, literally. So often those of us that have been around church for a while forget that this is in fact our calling at every single moment of our lives. Our, our life together as a congregation and our life, lives literally out there in the world. Because there was limited time and Jesus had limited things to say in these, in these departure days as we know them. And so here it is for us this morning, as clearly as anything is delineated in Scripture, often people say, what am I supposed to do? Or what's my calling? Or how is it that I'm supposed to understand God more clearly? Well, here it is, and it's, it's really not that difficult to understand. Hard to do, but not difficult to understand. Our calling is to quite literally love. They will know we are Christians by our love. My old friend wrote years ago. That's how we will be known in the world. And we'll either be known for our love or we will be known for other things. And unfortunately, a whole cadre of people across this world stay away from church because when they got close to a congregation, they did not find love. They found restriction and harshness. They found, uh, they found that they were on the outside and that they were anything but included in the mix. And so they left. In this commandment to love, Jesus sets a new standard. And it is how we treat each other that uh, becomes the real mark of our faith. In fact, if you want to think about the opposite of love and presence with God, that is, if we want to think about what actual hell is, we will find that hell is a place where no love exists and there is hell on earth as well as somewhere else. Or as Paul put it, without love, I am literally nothing. And so it seems pretty important to me this morning that we think about how we love each other. Again, not easy to do. Easy to love our families. Easy to love our children. It's not hard for me to love my grandchildren. It's not hard for me to love my wife. But it's not easy. But unless unless we get into the midst of confusion arguing about different philosophies or doctrines or for that matter, how we're going to do church, what would it mean for us to simplify and to practice love? Maybe that's all we should focus on for a while. Four years ago in April, my wife and I went to New York City to celebrate our granddaughter's uh, second birthday. Uh, my son and his wife lived in Brooklyn at the time, and before we left, my wife had been to see the doctor, and uh, she was diagnosed with asthma and with an irritated stomach, which a lot of us have, and so we got on the airplane, and we flew to Brooklyn, and on, uh, on a Friday night before the actual birthday on a Saturday, we celebrated the rest, the, the twins' birthdays, which we had not been there for. And as we were walking out of my son's apartment back to our apartment, my wife collapsed on the streets of Brooklyn, and my son and I caught her before she hit the ground. What we found out in the ensuing two to three hours is that she did not have, she did not have a cold, she did not have congestion, she did not have, she had a stomach irritation, but she had advanced pancreatic cancer and her lungs uh, were filled with blood clots. That's why she couldn't breathe well. And for all practical purposes, we should have lost her there on the street. Six weeks later, we did lose her. And you may have been in this position, or you may know someone who's been in this position, but after 46 years, of marriage and two years of dating prior to that, the person that I lived my life with and gave my life to was gone. Needless to say, my life turned literally upside down in every sense of the word. Everything I had ever known came unglued and was floating in the air like it was weightless. I didn't know up from down, right from left. I, I can't tell you what happened in some of those ensuing months. And and people periodically would ask me theological questions like, aren't you angry with God? And I said, no, I don't have any room for anger. Um, No, I'm I'm grateful for the life that we had together. I'm grateful for our son. No, I'm not angry. But what I will tell you is that I had no tolerance for church business per se. I had no tolerance for the debates that go on, political or religious. I'm on this side, you're on this side, I could care less. I, I had no energy, it had been my work to enable congregations to move forward in transitions like you're in, and I, I was not the least bit interested in that. So one of my wise friends said, or asked me a question, he said, well, what do you what do you think now? What?" What can you plant yourself in? And I said, I know two things. The first is God loves. And the second thing is I both need love and I need to offer love to others. That's all I know right now, period. And as I've reflected on that in these four years since, I have found that that serves me really well, that that's enough. That if all we can say is that we know that God is love, that from the beginning God never began to love us, that God's very nature, God's creation the whole way in which we are brought into this world is all a a result of deep and abiding love that God did not place us on this earth in order to punish us or to beat us up or For us to feel as if we must earn our way in this universe or to find our place. No, it's exactly the opposite. That since the very beginning, all God has been doing is to say that I love you, that I want to be with you, that I want you to share this love and affection with every part of the created universe. And that no person, no thing is excluded from my love in the world. Period. That's what I think the calling is and the message is. So this morning, if you want to think about your church moving forward, and I know you loved Barrett and the family and I'm, I, uh, I know you'll grieve that, but you've been very fortunate with the caliber and quality of ministers that have been at First Waynesboro and you will uh, be led and a person will be led here who will lead uh, effectively and that you will love. But in the meantime, you know, when all the stress is taking place with the budget and the COVID that caused the church to just basically disperse and are people ever coming back. And I mean, all the ways in which we wring our hands and and are concerned about the well-being of the organization. Let me just suggest this morning that if you take nothing else but just simply the word love and you exercise it and if you give it uh, freedom to operate and to have a life of its own, I I think you would be surprised by how effective a congregation can be. In fact, I think there's a whole city, a whole community here in Waynesboro just waiting for some group of Christian people to show the kind of love that allows them to know that they too are included in all of God's economy. And I've been living my life in many ways with people that I've never associated with before because people run like crazy if you say you're a minister, but everybody doesn't know I'm a minister in my current life all the time. And so people say things to me that they never used to say. And I hear things I never used to hear. And one of the things I hear is this, well, I was in a church once, but you can't believe what happened in the midst of that place. Or I'm not sure that That those folks would ever accept me like I am and I just don't see anybody that looks like me or acts like me I mean the stories could go on and on and one of the things that happens in scripture and that Jesus set a fire in this scripture this morning is that this notion of who God cares about just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. And in fact, in the lectionary text this morning, in the, in the reading from Acts, you have this whole explosion of recognition that God is just not about the Israelites or the converts from the Israelite community. God is about every person, no matter the boundaries. And so there is a place now for wildness and grittiness and love for the stranger that we have not seen and the ability to rule break at least the ones that we created for ourselves and to be ferocious about the love that we share this is the new calling that we have and i promise you there's not a church in the country that if they decide to set out on this path that people will not be uh, attracted and want to be a part of that kind of group. It's work and it takes effort. And we we, we don't find love by trying to get it, we find love by, by by giving it. And so our marching orders are pretty clear that we are to give and to give freely. you're here this morning to live out of the power and the mysteries of love, God's love in Jesus Christ. It inspires us, releases us into the world. Uh, It reminds us that there's a wideness in God's mercy as one of our hymns says. And that we are continue, as Eugene Peterson has said in his wonderful book, Practice Resurrection, we are to practice, practice, practice the truth of the resurrected Christ, which this morning is to practice relentlessly this love that reaches down into the difficult places and loves the unlovely, yes, even us, as a place to begin. Because despite how much we think we are Uh, There we are not there and we also need the love of God in our lives Uh, My life took a turn a year ago Um, I Got married again to a wonderful woman. Dr. Dana Rose. Dana grew up in Richmond We met 50 years ago as freshmen at Oklahoma Baptist University. She's from Richmond We uh, were friends and friendship led to uh, a caring relationship and a caring relationship led to a marriage uh, out in the East River, underneath the shadow of the Statue of Liberty with just our family around us. Dana has three sons, they're married. She has, uh, I'm losing track of the number of grandchildren, I think she has seven. Um, And so we have this wonderful union of our families and everybody lives in New York City. And so it's very convenient and we are there a lot. But in closing this morning, I wanted to share with you some of what's been happening in our life over the last handful of weeks. We've had a lot going on. Um, Dana's middle son and his wife wanted a family, children just like everybody else, but they were struggling to have a family and like many hundreds of couples, thousands of couples these days, they sought medical help uh, to have a child. And they were in the throes of that when it was found that, um, that the mother had uh, ovarian cancer in a pretty serious case. Ovarian cancer will end a quest uh, for having a baby and she was 34 years old. And this is not typically a disease that a curse for someone that young, but it was devastating. She had major surgery. The hope and dream of a child was dashed, and that was a grief enough, if not to consider the cancer diagnosis. The good news for her is that she had the surgery, began the chemotherapy, the cancer went into remission, and it was the best news you could possibly hear And beyond this, they had a couple of embryo. I don't know how many really, but they had embryo. And so they began the process of looking for a surrogate, someone who could carry this embryo for them and help them have a family. That's a grueling process. It's expensive. It's harsh in many ways. And one afternoon, my wife, Dana, comes down into the basement. She goes, you won't believe this, but um, my children have found a surrogate. I said, that is great news. Is the person in the United States because a lot of surrogates are outside the borders of the country? No. Uh, yes, she is. Do they know her? Yeah, in fact, they do know her. Do I know her? Yes, in fact, you do know her. You see, one of Dennis's sons and his wife had been talking to another son, the oldest son, and his wife, who already have three children, a set of twins and a girl. And that mother decided that she wasn't finished giving birth to new life in the world. And so she submitted herself to the process of delivering a baby for the middle child and his wife two and a half almost 3 weeks ago and this is not something i was familiar with but in the living room of a man of a new york apartment grace valentine was delivered into the world a beautiful baby girl it's quite stunning really that somebody would love another person enough to say that i will give my body as a as a place, as a respite, as a, as a place of nurture and care to you so that you might, uh, we might enable you to have a child. It's somewhat biblical in its nature, and it's just absolutely uh, one of the most moving experiences I've ever been a part of. And as I reflected on that and what I was going to say to you this morning, I thought, well, it'd be hard, I'd be hard pressed to find a better example of what it means to lay down one's life for another, to give unconditional love to someone else, to be willing to exclude my sense of what I'm going to do with myself and offer it up to you as a living sacrifice, so to speak, But in the eyes of that baby who I have held and looked into Grace's face, I see reflected back the true meaning of grace and in the whole experience understand far more deeply the meaning of the word love. This morning I am convinced that there were hundreds of people who woke up in Waynesboro, Virginia, and they have no clue whatsoever that they are loved or that anybody cares about them in the whole wide world. And so those that were looking into the face of Jesus heard very clearly from him, love one another. And then guess what? Blow love out throughout the whole world and slather it generously. Because when you do, you're as close to God as you will ever be. Amen.